Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. guys welcome back to the coach steve show podcast my guest sent down today is jimmy Pilato. did i get it right you did yeah he he and his friend nico have their own podcast on the same uh unhinged sports network that my podcast is on um far into the bench podcast go check it out they are kicking my butt in every aspect of the podcast but that's because there's two of them and it's just me and myself which yeah, is i mean funny. You're not you're not doing bad for somebody who just joined the network in December. So I don't even I care. I look at like, oh, I'm losing. That's fine. Yeah, not any, but not everybody can be psychotic like that. Like Nico and I are. We're pretty uh competitive. So well, I'm competitive in what I can control. So like, right. yeah, I control the podcast, but it's like I can't control people listening. Mm-hmm. Um, and because you guys have like a part of my take type of thing, like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like me talking to coaches. Like, I think one that people will listen to, I just got the, I got Langley Community College defensive line coach from Last Chance U. Okay. Um, Trying to get the OC from East Mississippi. That's the next one. That would be an interesting guy to talk to. Was he, was he there when uh, the, I can't remember the head coach's name, but he was a character. I can't remember. Yeah. From- coach Marcus Wood. He's on the first two seasons. Yeah. We've texted and talked on the phone. It's just hard to get him on here. Oh, I'm um, sure he's got tons of different things going after that show because his that show was a lot more popular. It got a lot more attention with uh, Independence, but it was definitely a lot more popular when it was EMCC because they were unreal, just talented all day a, long. I had a coach from Independence on Last Chance U too. And the first question I asked him, is Coach Brown really like that? And he said, yes, that is him. And I said, that's all I need to know. Yeah, I mean, I didn't mind him. I, I don't know if I would have rather play, if I would have liked to play for the, a guy like that. But I've actually, I watched a couple of podcasts that he's been on, and it does seem like that was just his personality. So, yeah, I don't know if I, I might coach for him. I don't know about play. I don't know. Because <laughs> I'm an adult now, I, I could handle it. But when I was 20 or 19, maybe not. Yeah, it takes, you know, Everybody has their own style that they like more. My dad was my offensive line coach for up until I got into high school, which was interesting because 
when we were really young, he was the head coach too. And it almost seemed like every time that we would lose, it was something to do with my performance, but we kind of, we were able to grow our relationship to the point where he, I mean, I credit him a lot for everything that I know. Um, I was the center. So obviously I, I was smart, even though I was getting hit in the head every single play, but I credit him for a lot of everything that I know about football and why I'm able to talk about it in a way that people are able to understand. Some people find entertaining, probably most people probably listen to our podcast so they can uh, give us heat or something like that, but it is what it is. People listen. Hey, if you got haters, you're doing something right. That's it's yeah. It's an interesting thing to deal with because I've never had one before. And then, you know, the last couple of weeks, Nico got it a little bit more than I did. He, uh, he posted a picture of Bradley Beal in a Denver Nuggets uniform because he wants him to, trade for him <laughs> and we're from denver so we're big nuggets fans and philly fans were not happy with him when he did that yeah i've gotten heat from coaching stuff and then i got heat from the podcast when i said ohio state wasn't in my top four playoff teams and i got called a clown and this this and that because i didn't have them in there and i just said i look at it from a coach perspective and i said watching them play at the time they did not deserve it because without football this year, so here's how my life works. In football, I watch film on Saturdays. Yeah. Now I have a college game on on the TV, but I'm watching film on my laptop. So when I watch college football, it's as a fan. Mm-hmm. And I pick up little nuggets. That's about it. This year with no football, I watch every college game like a film. So I was watching O line, wide receivers, quarterbacks. And I said, and so I got called a clown. I got called this. I got called this. People direct messaging me saying this. I was like, oh my goodness. Just because I said Ohio State didn't deserve to be there, and this was before they even played Northwestern. Yeah, okay. I mean, there's definitely an argument to be made that they probably shouldn't have been there just for the lack of games that they played. But they proved it in the postseason a little bit, especially the semifinal game. I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I picked Clemson, and I said it wasn't even going to be close. That's where I got most of my heat. But I also – I've learned that when you talk about college football, when you talk about a team, like a person's school, they take it personally. So that's why you're always going to get a little bit more reaction when you're talking college football instead of pros. Cause people care about the pros, but not as much as the school they went to. Yeah. Uh, I still sit here and say they shouldn't have, even though what happened, but um, Clemson not having their OC was huge. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think it was going to be that huge because I said the same thing. I said, oh, Clemson by 30 is what I said. And then when they didn't have their OC, I said, oh, talent will take over. And then I really saw how bad the play calling was. And I was like, yeah, this is not good. Yeah, and they fell into a little bit of a trap where they had Trevor Lawrence and they just expected him to make some spectacular play like he did the year before. And everybody else that they had to make plays uh, were just waiting for him to to do something and he was never able to, to do it. That's – my dad always brought up Barry Sanders. It was almost like he was great and he was spectacular, but there were some times where everybody was watching him, even the guys that were on his offense, just because they wanted to see what was going to happen. Um, and I think that's probably what happened to Clemson a little bit. No, no OC was bad, but I, honestly, I think Ohio State's national championship was the semifinal game. That's why they cared so much. Well, I told my two friends we do a live show every Sunday, and I told them, I said, do you remember years ago – when Alabama lost to Clemson, the next year they played Clemson in the first round of the playoff and beat Clemson, and then they went to play Georgia, and Georgia should have won that game. I'm a Nick Saban fan, so I'm an Alabama fan. That's why on all your guys, mm-hmm. I said roll tide because I have to. Yeah. 
Well, um, and I said Alabama spent all their mental energy and physical energy on that game. When they got to Georgia, they just couldn't do it. It took a miracle to win, and it did. And I said this is going to happen to Ohio State. They spent all that. They had to play a perfect game to beat Clemson. Mm-hmm. Then they get to Alabama, kind of close in that first quarter, and then Bama said we're Bama. I have the best player on the field, and then. Ohio State's defensive scheme for that game was totally wrong. I mean, I know Devontae oh. Smith was an outside receiver for most of the season, but he's played the slot before. And if he's in the slot, you definitely have to have some extra DB on the field because if it's tough Borland or whoever their safety was that was trying to cover him, that's not happening. Well, and that's what I said all year. Because I'm in Big Ten country. I'm in Illinois. Mm-hmm. I'm a U of I fan, unfortunately. Uh, maybe not. Maybe now we have Bielema. He'll be okay. Um, but watching Ohio State, I said their weakness is corners and safeties besides the one corner. And Lave. yeah, no, no, Lave. Um, yeah, he's the only good one, mm-hmm. but he plays off. He can't play in your face. He has to play four yards back because he's fast enough to make up for, but he can't play in your face. Mm. And I said, that's their weakness. Look at Indiana. Indiana could not run the ball on Ohio State. Guess what they did though? They passed all over the place. Yeah. And Ohio State's strength is their line and linebackers. So when they came on that 4-4, they were just trying to make sure that Alabama couldn't do those RPOs. And they're like, you could try to run the ball because our strength is this. But then, like you said, the problem is you put that backer on Smith when they're moving him around, you ain't score, you, you can't stop him. No, and Sarkeesian called a hell of a game that day, and the Ohio State defensive coordinator didn't. He, he called probably the worst game of his life. Um, but, yeah, I mean – even with the only one half, Devontae Smith probably still deserved to be offensive MVP, and, and he was. But he's one of the better – I don't know. I, since you are you you follow Alabama because Saban, do you think that he's the best receiver that he's had at Alabama? Because I, I tried to argue that, but then you got to go back to Julio Jones and Amari Cooper when they were at Bama. But, I mean, Devontae Smith something special. See, that's where I get an argument. See, I, need, I argue the LeBron and Michael Jordan thing. I think Michael Jordan's the GOAT. I think he's 1A and Kobe's 1B. And the arguments people have with that is is the numbers. So if you look at the numbers, Smith is probably the best receiver he's had. But then you have to look at the overall. Maybe it's Julio, but I think Smith is faster. Yeah, but Julio is also bigger and stronger. Right, so that's kind of where maybe Smith is the best he's ever had. I think the bigger picture is this is the best receiving core altogether at one time he's ever had. Mm-hmm. Because Julio was at one point, and then he had another one. one like every good receiver has come after each other. Mm-hmm. This is the best overall. Because if he had Waddle on the field all year with Smith, they would have scored sixty points a game. Yeah, uh, Jalen. I mean Waddle. I think Waddle was probably the best, or at least most talented of the four that are going to be in the pros in the next couple of years between Jerry Judy, uh, Ruggs, and then Waddle and Smith. So I, I agree with that. It's also just the best. I feel like most talented offense that he's had at one time because other than Mac Jones, Najee Harris might be the best running back that he's had since Derrick Henry. And he's better out of the backfield than Derrick Henry was. So that gives him a little bit more there. And then their offensive line, even when Landon Dickerson went down, they didn't really miss a beat. So they, they were just stacked from top to bottom. Saban, for as much as I don't necessarily like his personality, I, I guess he, I've been watching a few documentaries and he is just, maniacal in, in what he does to work and he's been successful. So it's, 
it's hard to deny anything other than say I probably wouldn't like to play for him because he seems like kind of a kind of a jerk after games and everything like that. But he's successful, and that's pretty much all that matters at that level. I love Nick Saban, so watch. No, I'm just, I read every book on him. So there's a book, Saban, The Making of a Coach, and it goes through his whole life up mm-hmm. until a point. I can't remember when it stopped writing it at Alabama, at Alabama. It tells you how he is the way he is. So once you figure out the way he is the way he is, it makes a little sense. Mm-hmm. Like they won the championship, and I think it might have been LSU. Can't remember if it was LSU or the first Bama. Hey, everybody. As you know, the Coach Steve Show is brought to you by the Unhinged Sports Network. And in case you've missed it, they've recently par- partnered with Fubu TV. Now, what is Fubu TV? Fubu TV brings you 100 plus channels, including NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, ESPN, and more without the hassle of a cable contract. It is 2020. It's time to cut the cord. If you don't believe me, please click the link in the episode description or on the social media profile and you can get a seven-day free trial. So please, again, go click on the link for FUBU TV in the episode description or in the social media profile. Get a seven-day free trial to support the Coach Steve Show podcast as well as the Unhinged Sports Network. Recently, the Coach Steve Show has joined with the Unhinged Sports Network. It's an off-the-ground sports network that has different podcasts and is playing 24-7. So it's a podcast radio type website. So every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, the Coach Steve Show will have a new episode out. And they have partnered with Fanatics.com. So what I need you guys to do is in the episode descriptions and on social media is click on the Fanatics link and go get yourself some fan gear. Any team that you want, they have the gear for. Shirts, polos, hats, pullovers that have zips, stocking stuffers, anything like that, anything. Any team you want, they have. So please just support the podcast and support the Unhinged Sports Network. Please click on the, please click on the link in the description. Please click on the link in the social media and go buy stuff. They have anywhere, anywhere. I've seen anywhere between 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% off all, all their apparel. So with sports coming back, please go get some apparel to support your team. So again, click on the link, go get yourself some gear, and thank you for all the support. He got the thing, he did his interview or whatever, and then he told he said the coaches, meet me in the office in 10 minutes. You know, they go back there, some are getting the beer out, you know, we just won the national championship. He starts handing them all folders. And he goes, all right, you're going here, here, here. You're going here, here, here. You're going to go talk to this kid, this kid, this kid. I'm going to go here. And they said, what are you doing? And he said, we just played the national championship. We had three extra weeks of practice. We lost three weeks of recruiting. Go recruit now. Like, he just couldn't enjoy it. And from watching, for me being a fan, watching him then to now, he's smiling. He -hmm. cried at the end. Like, he was just so happy. But that's how he is. Yeah, it, it looked like this one meant the most to him for whatever reason. I'm not not quite sure. Um, and then it begs the question, why didn't it work in the NFL? And I think it, he might be too much of a control freak. And then when you're dealing with grown men who make more money than you possibly or have had some experience, success in the, in the league, that probably is what he's not able to get the guys to drink the Kool-Aid like he is to do at Alabama. But it's... It, it's interesting that he can never make that jump to the pros and be that successful. 
it's in that book. He was the DC at the Oilers when they were the Oilers. Mm. And I can't remember the linebacker's name. But yeah, something about the way he talked to them or the way he approaches it. They the guy ran up and started to charge and Nick Saban gonna just to beat him up. And Nick Saban's not a big guy. And they said Nick Saban put his arms up ready to fight this huge linebacker. And so it's not like he belittles people, I guess. They've said that. He doesn't belittle them. He just he communicates better with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds than in the league when you're 30, 31, like my age, 30, 31, or 32. Like, you can't say that. Yeah. And he needed he needed Bill Belichick at the Browns to help it go. And, I mean, I, that is a point of, like, are you really the best coach of all time because it doesn't work in the NFL? And I'm like, eh, I mean, he might as well be an NFL team at Alabama. Might as well. It's also a totally different sport in college football than it is in the pros. So I, I think that he you could say that he's the best college football coach of all time, which makes him the best coach in his sport of all time. But it, I think that there's a total total difference between the NFL and, and college level, college games especially. Yeah, and I think he's just better at molding them into men mm-hmm. instead of keeping them at men. Yeah, he's more of a, a guider and a mentor which is works when you're coming out of high school, uh, maybe whatever family situation you have, maybe you don't have a father at home. He could fill that role. So that, that does make a little bit more sense as to why it was never going to work out with grown men with families and $30 million contracts, everything like that. Plus he was in Miami and Miami seems like they're turning it around, but Miami for a long time, wasn't going to go anywhere. It didn't matter if you were Nick Saban or I think the only person that probably could have done it was Belichick, but it was a tough situation that he was in, um, and, and now he found his home. I mean, I thought that he was a really good coach when he was at LSU, and he's just worked and worked and worked, and he's become even even that much better since he's been in Bama. Yeah, I think he teared up because of getting COVID and beating COVID. The players good talking to coaches during this COVID protocol. It's a lot mentally mm-hmm. to deal with, and so I think he was just happy for that. And then – Hearing that Sarkeesian was supposed to be the next head coach at Alabama, there was a like a handshake until the Texas job opened up. So I asked my two friends, I was like, is he thinking about retirement here soon? Maybe that's why he teared up, like, I'm not going to do this much longer. Mm-hmm. And when Sar- when I saw the article, Sarkeesian was supposed to be the next one. Then he went to Texas. Yeah, there's always – those situations are always interesting because that's what Urban Meyer did leaving Utah, he was supposed to only leave if the Notre Dame job came open, and then all of a sudden he's ending up in Florida after a couple of years in Utah. So those are always, you know, strange situations to be putting in. But I think Texas should be really happy with what they saw from the national championship. If he's able – if Sarkeesian's able to recruit the right kids, and obviously in Texas he's going to have plenty of talent to recruit from, I could see them being competitive with uh, Oklahoma now because Oklahoma's dominated that conference for – five, six years, however long it's been since Lincoln Riley took over. Yeah, I, I'm torn because I go back to his time at Washington and USC. It did not go very well. Right. Uh, he's just been a good play caller. So I'm just curious to see how he handles being a head coach, but he's clean. He's clean. He doesn't have the alcohol problem. And But Alabama is a place where they go to get baptized and praise the Lord and – Mm-hmm. become new coaches yeah he's done that 
all, all the guys, I mean, Kiffin has had up and down success, but all the guys that have been under Saban, he, they had success before they went under him. They go underneath him and then they come out and it's always better no matter what. So maybe it's not going to be as successful as I'm predicting just based off of what his offense did in the national championship. But I do think Texas will be more competitive. They should have, honestly, they should have been in, in the big 12 championship. They should have been competing with all the, with Oklahoma. They were really close to the red river rivalry, but Tom Herman never got his guys to finish the season. They always came out hot and then sputtered down the stretch. So, And you always hear bad things about Herman when he, like, the players don't want to play for him. You heard that at, what was he, at Utah? Was he at Utah? Yeah. Uh, he might have been. I'm not sure. It was Utah or Houston, I don't remember. And you heard that when he left, those reports came out. Mm-hmm. And then as this was twindling down, that came out. Um, they had the Eyes of Texas controversy during the middle of the year where their band, they didn't want to play it because of the history. And, you know, when no, you say that no sports has been taxing on you mentally, no sports was taxing on everybody mentally, especially during the summer, because everything had to have some deeper meaning. And I get the history of the song and everything like that. But then when you have a culture that your AD is coming out and telling your band, you have to play this song, no matter what you feel about it, your coach is like, we're going to play the song no matter what, if we win. You could just tell it was a terrible situation, and, and Herman wasn't helping it. It wasn't his fault, but he didn't help anything to make it any better than what it was. Right, and I think Sarkeesian will be better because mm-hmm. he learned from Nick Saban. So I think it'll be good. I'm not saying – I'm just torn. I'm going to wait and see. Like, I'm going to wait and see. Yeah. Like, it's not. if it was Lane Kiffin, I would say yes. Automatically, they're going to be winning in two years. Mm-hmm. But with him, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a little bit I, – I jumped the gun on some things. I am a wait and see for most things, but uh, I don't know. That was that was something else because I thought Ohio State's defense was, was going to be able to stand up to them a little bit a little bit better. Uh, but then again, I never saw LSU coming from two years ago. That was a total surprise. So maybe I don't know as much as I lead on or I'm just not <laughs> able to read the tea leaves as, as much as I like to say that I can. I don't know if anybody saw the LSU team coming. Do you think that was more Coach O, or do you think that was more Joe Brady and, and the other offensive coordinator? I can't think of his name. It was both. Um, again, uh, people need to go read his book, Flip the Script. I got it for Christmas and read it in two and a half days. Mm. Like, I just couldn't stop. And it's funny when you're reading it, you hear Coach O's voice in your head. So yeah. it's like he's reading it to you. So it's real funny. Just the way he coaches, the way he acts from the book and stuff. I'm like, okay, that's partly him, but it was because Joe Brady. Yeah, I mean, what what he did with Carolina this past year, not having Christian McCaffrey for a good portion of the season, still being one of the top offenses in that division and, you know, middle of the road in the conference, maybe a little bit higher than middle of the road in the conference. It was, I think that he benefited a lot from being under Coach O and just having that freedom because. LSU was always, we're just going to line up fullback, possibly two fullbacks, extra linemen. We're just going to run straight at you. And then when that offense opened up, you just saw all the talent that they had because Jamar Chase wasn't going to be an NFL prospect. He's possibly going to be the first receiver drafted, depending this year. Uh, Justin Jefferson had a great year in the NFL and had a great year in 2019. So I think it was mainly, you know, that was a culture change. And it was good that it was Coach O because Coach O is Louisiana and body. 
Like if you were to make Louisiana a person, it would be Coach O punching himself in the face. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like reading Coach O's book, he didn't want to be lined up with a fullback and extra lineman. He wanted to do what Joe Brady was doing. But the players that they had, and I can't remember the OC he had at the time, they just, that's what they could do was like line up and run the ball. And that's when he was like, because he coached for Sean Payton for a year too. So like how he found Joe Brady was because of Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. They had their thing. They brought him in to LSU to talk. And he goes, who's that? And he started talking to Joe Brady. He was like, what, 28 or 30 at the time? I don't remember. Yeah. And that's my, he's like, I'm going to hire him as the OC. Like that's, that's perfect. Yeah, and he came in and had a great impact with all the – like he was the receiver coach and then the pass game coordinator and all those guys. I mean, he, he's got – he's just – he was able to mold great, talented kids into what they were. We can have that debate if you want. This Alabama offense or last year's LSU offense, which one was better? I am not sure because Clyde, Joe Burrow – I'm a Bengals fan, weirdly enough. I'm from Colorado, but hmm. – I like the Bengals and and I love what Joe Burrow's been able to do for that team. So I think that, you know, I might be a little bit biased just because of that. But then I I don't know because the people, the argument people give Alabama's offense this year is that they had to play an all SEC schedule, which in normal years would be really difficult. But this year there was some pretty bad SEC teams and they didn't really have to struggle too much. And, And LSU was not as good as they should have been because of the opt-outs and everything like that. So I, I don't know. I don't know where I stand on that. I probably lean towards LSU's offense just because of the team that they beat in the national championship. I mean, Clemson was coming off with like 30 straight wins or something like that, two national championships. Dabo Sweeney, that was the height of the dynasty, and, and they were able to kind of kill that Clemson dynasty. Yeah, I never thought about it until they posted it during the national championship. They're like, which one's better? And I was like, oh, no, don't do this to me. <laughs> and... I don't know. I was looking at it yesterday, and they said, okay, they did it by grade. So, like, who had the better quarterback? Well, probably Joe Burrow is better than Mac Jones. Mm-hmm. Then they said to the receivers, they gave the nod to Alabama with their receivers. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. And then running backs, they gave it to Alabama because Najee Harris is really good. And then the big one was offensive line. They gave it to Bama. Bama's offensive line was monstrous. Yeah. And and both those offensive lines won the offensive line unit of the year award. So, I mean, it's not like LSU's offensive line from two years ago was not good or not the best in the country. I don't know. There's – you, you can argue it either way because I could say that LSU's wide receiving core that year was better. Throw in Thad Moss at tight end. Also, Clyde Edwards-Alaire might be better than Najee Harris out of the backfield. Maybe Najee's a little bit better running the ball. But, I mean, there there's plenty of guys on that on that team. If we could line it up and have 2019 LSU versus 2020 Alabama, I'd take it right now. I'd pay 40 mm-hmm. bucks, watch it on pay-per-view, um, anything like that, if, if we could somehow make that happen. Kind of like the Rocky versus uh, uh, Mason Dixon fight in, in his in the reboot movie that they did. 
I would drive down to the bayou for that. I would drop everything and drive. Yeah, I mean, it, whether they have fans or not, I'm going to be outside the stadium. I don't care if they want fans or not. I'd be walking in like, nope. Because, uh, like, I have all the stats up. It's a lot. Like, yards per play, LSU was 7.8. Alabama is 8.3. Yards per game, LSU was 568.4. Alabama is 561.3. Points per game, <laughs> LSU 48.4. Alabama 48.5. Jeez. Yards per attempt, Alabama's 12.7, LSU is 10.6. Rush offense, 166.8 for LSU, 168.3 for Alabama. But LSU had 4.8 yards a carry, Alabama 4.6. Tackles for loss, LSU gave up five a game, Alabama gave up 4.5. The third down conversions, LSU was 49%, Alabama was 61 Punts per game, LSU 3.1, Bama 2.5. Funny you bring up punts per game because uh, Nico and I actually graduated with Charlie Scott in high school. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're pretty good friends with him. And when we were doing the color cast for the national championship, all we wanted was for Ohio State to get one stop so Charlie could punt. And he ended up punting twice. So there you was, go. That was good for him. But uh, I mean, yeah, like laying out those stats is perfect because one leads the other in one category, but then another category that you can argue is more important. It goes back to back the other way. I think the only, only way we'd be able to settle this is watch the game or maybe go over whose defense is better because that would help help out the offense even more. And I would say by the end of the season, LSU's defense was one of the top in the country. They didn't start that way, but with Patrick queen and, and all those guys on that side, I'd probably give that edge to LSU. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, Alabama's defense showed up in the in the postseason, but they they didn't have to do anything, and they would probably win by 30 points. Yeah, Bama's defense wasn't the best. They're very young in the box this year. Their corners and safeties were their where they leaned on. Yeah, like that defensive lineman for them was a sophomore, so like they were very young. Um. And it was just a year where you didn't have a lot to like, – you didn't have spring ball, you didn't have summer. Mm-hmm. So it took a long time to catch up. Uh, my friend who coaches here in Illinois, he's big on sprint-based performance. There's a guy here in Illinois, his name's Tony Holler. He's a high school track coach, and it's called Feed the Cats, and it's about you know speed training, power. That's what Alabama does. They got the Indiana strength and conditioning coach to go down there like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And from learning this this year, I watched Alabama. The numbers came out for their linemen. They lifted stronger at the end of the year than they did at the beginning of the year. Because they sprint. They do all their hard stuff up until Wednesday. Then Thursday and Friday, they don't do much. And then Saturday, they're good to go. Yeah. And that's why Smith is so fast. Because you see his acceleration. And all the work came out with that. And that's why Bama just destroyed people. That's an underrated position. Uh, underrated coach on the staff. It does not always get listed, but strength and conditioning coaches are the reason why teams are as successful as they are. Because it wasn't too long ago that weight, lifting weights during the season was looked at as a detriment because then you're sore and fatigued and all that kind of stuff. But if you have the right guy with the right program, it's night and day what they can do for you. Yeah, but like this, like when I play, because I'm probably older than I'm 30, I'm older, we – 
lifted weights heavy. Mm. One rep max. Now it's not that anymore. Like this speed performance stuff is more power based and a new lift of what your body's telling you to do. And like Alabama's O line got stronger as the year went on. And I that's kind of I'm a Bama guy, so I'm like, oh, I think Bama's offensive line would change it if they played that LSU team. I don't think they would get to Mac Jones. I mean, possibly. Probably not. I, I think that the speed SEC teams have to play SEC teams to for them to be able to be even speed-wise. Um, LSU's defense would, would probably have stood up a little bit better to the speed of Alabama's offense than what, what we saw at Ohio State. Because there are some times where even the third-string receiver was just blowing by guy from Ohio, the defensive back from Ohio State. Yeah, it's a good debate. I don't have an answer. No, because, I don't. Because I think not going to be one. No, because I, I think Joe Burrow is the better quarterback, obviously. But Mac Jones is the probably the best progression quarterback I've ever watched. Hmm. Now he has confidence because he doesn't get touched, <laughs> and he's got two Heisman Trophy finalists to throw to. Yeah, but he's the best progression quarterback I've ever watched. Because I'm a big Mike Leach guy, and his air rate stuff is progression. Mac Jones, if you watch, he goes one, two, three. Oh, I'm gonna throw to the running back. He's so quick about it. He doesn't hesitate. Here at the Coach Steve Show podcast, we're very excited for our new sponsor for the show, the Launchpad Kickoff Tee. Pretty exciting that they wanted to sponsor the podcast, and very um, excited for the opportunity to be sponsored by them. Um, the launchpad kickoff tee is a very unique kickoff tee. It's there's nothing like it. It is created so that way you can place the football however you want it. You want it to stand up higher, it can stand up higher. If you want it, you know, to make it down lower to make the football be kicked off and go farther, it can do that. You want to place it to the side, you want it to stand straight up however you want. You could put it upside down if that's the thing. However you want, the launchpad kickoff tee can let you do that. So if you're a coach and you have a younger guy or a developing kicker who is not reaching the end zone at all times, this is the perfect kickoff tee for you. The reason is that it gives a coach a strategic options on squibs and onside kicks that were never available before. This kickoff tee is legal for the NCAA use and for all high schools at the National Federation High School Association. The Launchpad Kickoff Tee, it is a game changer, guys. Having one here is a complete game changer. Check out the videos that they've posted. It's it's amazing stuff to see what the kickers can do once they get this and get the kicking down and use this tee. So for now, what I need you to do, if you're interested in looking at it and going to buy one, please go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS. And when you buy the one tee, Use the code CSS to get 10% off. But also, there are other options using the same link. If you want to buy two, you can get 25% off. If you think you need more and want to go buy the four-pack option, you can buy three and get one of them for free. So go to launchpadkickofftee.com slash CSS and use the code CSS and go get this game-changing kickoff tee for all you kickers and you coaches today. Yeah, I think Burrow is underrated in that aspect. He was taking more shots down the field, but that's just because Burrow's kind of got that cockiness about him. He always thought that he'd be able to throw it further down the field than he could to just dump it off to the running back. He'd take the smart play every now and then, but he was one of the better 
a lot of the times like Baker Mayfield's completion percentage was inflated when he was in college. Joe Burrows was not because he was actually taking shots 15 yards plus down the field. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that there's an argument to be made that he's probably a little bit more of a gambler than Mac Jones probably had a little bit more confidence because ability wise, I don't think that it can be argued that Mac Jones is not, not close to what Joe Burrow's ability was. Um, but they are two of the smartest quarterbacks that I can remember watching in college football, just going, you very, very rarely see, especially now with all the RPOs, it's one read I'm throwing or one read I'm just going to hand it off, keep it like Lamar Jackson in the pros. Not going to go through his progression. He's just going to find whatever his read tells him to, and that's what he's going to do. Joe Burrow and Mac Jones are actually able to make something off of a play because they know where the receivers are supposed to go and what concepts are actually going on the field. Mm-hmm. And we'll see what happens to Mac Jones because Joe Burrow, if he didn't get hurt, was going to help them win more. I was amazed. Yeah, I mean, so was I. I wasn't expecting four wins this season, especially coming off of a two-win season last year. Well, I'm a Bears fan, and we should not have been in the playoffs. Just shouldn't. But You got to have Zach Kyleman on from Gridiron Gallery on the network because he's a Bears fan. You got, you guys can uh, – commiserate together we give him a lot of crap for jay cutler and oh uh, and cody parkey all that kind of stuff cody parkey fine but jace you can't beat smoking jay cutler you can't beat. i I don't know one of the other guys on nfl we need him to be our quarterback coach it possibly one of one of the guys on nfl unhinged um called jay cutler he compared jay cutler to aaron Rodgers and just said aaron Rodgers had a better work ethic but jay cutler was more talented so i don't i don't know Jay Culler had a Brent Favre arm and thought he could be Brent Favre. Um, he's probably one of the best quarterbacks the Bears ever had, sadly. I mean, I watched him for a few years because he originally got drafted to the Broncos. So I watched him for those years while he was here. And, yeah, he would make absolutely incredible throws and stuff that I never would have thought I'd be able to see. But it was always an attitude thing. And at that position, attitude is going to be what makes you successful or not. Now, I know we're on the Unhinged Sports Network, but I have to bring up another podcast part of my take. So don't get me in trouble because I talked to Jay Cutler. Mm-hmm. And it's hilarious because he's friends with Big Cat. Yeah. And they asked him, they said, now, can you tell me the story about the kid telling you he's going to Vanderbilt? And he goes, okay. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. I was at Wrigley Field for a Cubs game because the Bears went there. I've been Wrigley Field or Wrigleyville for six hours or seven hours. And if anybody listening knows how Wrigleyville gets down for seven hours, you're feeling pretty good. 
he's like, I remember going to the bathroom and this kid comes running because he went to Vanderbilt. So they come running and said, Hey, I'm gonna go to I want to go to Vanderbilt too, or I'm gonna go to Vanderbilt too. He goes, Now I can't say I didn't do this, but I or I can't say I did do this, but I can't say I didn't do this. Apparently I said I don't care. He goes, but I can't confirm or deny that I said that. And so that kind of tells you. Oh yeah. No, oh, that, that was totally his personality. And it still is. That's at least he was authentic in who he was. I wouldn't have wanted to be an offensive lineman for him, but he is just that way. But people say good his teammates most say good things. He just wasn't as vocal. I think that was their only thing was he wasn't as vocal. And he kind of just gave up in that NFC Championship game. They talked about that too. They said, well, what about the knee? He goes, I played all year. I take all these shots. Do you not think I wouldn't have winning if I didn't have – like if I couldn't? That's that's true. I mean – But the outside looking in did not look good. Like, no, it was a bad optic, total bad optic. And I like – I actually do enjoy listening. I'm a part in my take fan. I, I listen pretty much all their episodes that they put out each week. So I do enjoy listening to them on the show. There, there's just some things that kind of rub me the wrong way. For a guy that never had the talent to be able to play at that level, if I, if it feels like you gave up in some sort of situation at that level, it really bugs me and rubs me the, the absolute wrong way. So that's kind of where my my stance on Jay Cutler comes from. Oh, no. I think he didn't want to play. Like something happened where he didn't want to. Mm-hmm. I agree. Being a Bears fan, that was awful because that was our chance. That was the only chance we had. That could have changed NFL history because that was the year the Packers – wasn't that the year the Packers won the Super Bowl? So, I mean, they were – the Bears had won the division. They come off a of Super Bowl. Maybe they win the division a couple more times and, and get to play deeper into the playoffs a few more times. Not to, not to pour salt in, in open wounds or anything like that, but it definitely could have been something crazy for that whole franchise. Yeah, it was it was bad, and then then we had our hopes up in 2018, and then Kadonk. Yep. And then we're right here where we are. Yeah. At least it was on Nickelodeon, so not many people were uh, paying attention to how badly the team played. I didn't watch it on Nickelodeon though; it was on Amazon Prime of all places. No, I didn't watch it on Nickelodeon either. I just that was one of the things that I kept seeing from Bears fans. At least we have it on Nickelodeon, so I can just get distracted by everything else. And at least we won the Nickelodeon MVP for Mitchell Trubisky. That was another part of my take thing. They they thought that it, the MVP got slimed, so they wanted Mitch to get slimed, even though he wasn't the best player of that game. And the sad thing was the announcers on Nickelodeon didn't get the joke. Yeah, they. I don't know. I don't know. When they said it was on Nickelodeon, I said, is this a joke? What, what are you doing? They said, oh, we're trying to reach the younger generation. Ten-year-olds? I was ten years old watching games on CBS and Fox, so I don't know what, what younger generation they were talking about. See, back in my day, see, I'm old. Back in my day, was Nick. I remember when Nick at Night came out. Yeah. You're only seven years older than me. It's not like that's – we're not that far apart. Oh, wait till you're – 30, everything's going to creak and break and snap. And Oh, I'm already there. I played offensive line for 14 years. Oh, so you know your knees are going to go out here soon. Let me tell you how that's going to feel. Uh, yeah, I'm still squatting while I can. I'm sure at some point I'm going to give it up because I just won't be able to walk the next day. Because it, 
it's embarrassing. I hurt my back like three years ago, two years ago, from doing standing uh, calf raises with the bar on my back. I twisted one way, and I just felt it. That's how old I felt. I am. Like, I can't. Just, just the thought of squat hurts. Yeah, especially if you're not doing it the right way. And today did not feel good when I was underneath the bar. But at least I'm not doing our strength and conditioning coach in college. During our off-season workouts, we'd end Fridays on a leg day. And the finisher of the workout was a 20-rep squat. And if you got all 20 reps, your percentage increased. So for whatever reason, a coach would always end up behind me. So I had it in my head, like, I can't drop this. I can't drop this. I have to go for 20. There were a couple times where I got the last two and almost passed out or didn't remember that I did the last two or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in that stage of my life anymore because it was, there's a lot of bravado and machismo going on in, in that weight room, but afterwards it did not feel good. Nope. Nope. Uh, I remember back to doing chain squats and trying mm-hmm. to do what I could chain deadlift, chain deadlift. You should do that. Oh my God. Yeah. We used to, we did resistance bands instead of chains. Well, I was in high school. We didn't have four. We just had chains. We were old yeah. school. Then I got to college and it was, oh, you guys are going to do power clean. We did hang cleans in high school. I get to college to walk on and said, you're, you're going to be a tight end or a lineman. You're doing power cleans. Full Why? squat power cleans or, or just power clean, just get it up however you can? Both. Okay. Because our, our strength and conditioning coach said if you don't catch it in a full squat and front squat it up, it didn't count. We, Lyman did power cleans because that's the position you play and you're low to the ground. Mm-hmm. Linebackers would do hang cleans because that's their natural position. And I never thought of it that way. And I said, okay. And then they also also do front squats more because we need more power. Yeah. And I never thought of that. And I didn't do front squats in high school. I had to learn. Yeah. And the bad part about going to college and being in these programs is they don't have a lot of time to correct form or technique. That As long as you can get the weight, that's really all they care about. Yeah, and that's why I'm glad they're doing the sports performance or that sports sprint-based training because they don't care about the weight anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my friend that coaches track, he does it. He goes, you would think we're lazy. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, we, if my sprinters, we sprint really hard, and then I have them sit for full – a full five minutes, they just sit there. And then they get up and run again. Mm-hmm. He's got his girls to go from like 17 miles per hour up to like 19, like pretty quick. And he's trying to get the football team to do that now too. He's the OC there now, so he's trying to do that. Yeah, and there's a whole bunch more science and everything about uh, the speed of the rep and that being a little bit more impactful than how much weight is on the bar when you're doing the reps. so. I just missed it too. I feel like I'm old with, with the way that I was coached, especially in the in the weight room in college. And, and now if I had some of the stuff, like I talked to my brother who's at the, he plays offensive line at the University of Northern Colorado in Greeley. And it's, it's night and day from what I had to experience. Being in just a, a dark room with 445s on my back. And if I don't squat it, then I didn't, didn't do anything over the summer was how it was looked at. And now it's much more of a how does your body feel performance. Well, all we want to do is perform on the field. We don't care what your numbers are in the weight room as long as you can perform on the field. Yep. And it works. Look at Indiana, Ohio State, Alabama. And I hope Illinois does it now 
because I want Illinois to be good so bad. But we got Bielema and the the hottest Big Ten coach's wife with him. Is is what? I uh, I played in a All Star game with um, one of the guards at Illinois for the past couple of years. Can't be able to. I'll find him on social media because I, I remember what. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he was. Uh, he actually played pretty well. I think he's going to get a look at um, in the league. But they had some pretty good guards. I mean, Big Ten football is all based off offensive line play, and I feel like Illinois had the offensive line. They just didn't have anybody else around them to be able to, to do much with it. And Lovey Smith. And Lovey Smith, yeah. That's always bad. You had you got beat up by Lovey Smith twice as a Bears fan and then as an uh, Illinois fan. But Lovey Smith got fired at 10-6. and six. That's true. Which shouldn't have happened, I guess. But Illinois was in a bad place when he took over. We had Coach Beckman before that with allegedly, I have to say allegedly, shredding records of injuries from the players, Hmm. you know, and this, this, and that, and abusing and, like, holding their scholarships on hold if they didn't go out and play even though they were hurt and all this stuff and bad Bad spot, and then he comes in. Lovey Smith glued it back together. I will say he glued it back together, but he just couldn't win. Yeah, other than those random upsets, it's uh, Kendrick Green, by the way. That's who I played with uh, for okay. an All Star game. He he had a pretty decent career there, and now he's he's moving on. He's going to go. He declared for the NFL draft already. Oh yeah. Um. What was I going to say about Illinois? Well, we went to the Red Box Bowl. They could get their movie as they were watching the game. It's better than uh, better than the Mayo Bowl, whatever the hell, hell that was this year. And then they broke the trophy and had to tape mayonnaise thing on it. Uh, I was glad that Wisconsin won because we did a big bowl pick em where we, a couple of our buddies, Nico and I, all picked every single game. And that was one of the ones where I was like, oh, please, Wake Forest, don't, don't show me up in this one. I feel like you'll be good next year. Just let it, let Wisconsin win so I can have a, a win in this pick em. Um Wisconsin was kind of disappointing this year too, especially after how they started the season. Yeah, against Illinois. Let's talk. Like, no, I, I, I really don't do these things. It just ends up happening. I'm not trying to <laughs> bring up sore spots. Um, but I guess – was good. Yeah. I mean, he played really well that game, and then he kind of slowed down in, in the middle of the season, but he's young. Um, well, he also – he sat out for three weeks. Yeah, with COVID and everything like that. So, but since you are in Big Ten country, what was the feeling? Did you guys think that you were going to play college football? Was was there a good chance that you guys thought the season would be canceled as a whole? We did when they canceled it. Um, when they originally said we weren't going to play till the spring, mm-hmm. um, we didn't know if that was final. But part of us was like, "Yeah, I don't know if they will." Because it's just hard to come back. I don't know. It was like half and half. Like, yeah, we could see that. The other half, we won't be surprised. But then what was it? The SEC and them played like two or three games. Yeah, and we they were, saw We were, we were just kind of like, we're not coming back. But we were like, they're not coming back. It's been three games. There's no way. It'd be stupid. And then what do they do? Hey, let's come back. You get eight weeks. No wiggle room. It was pretty stupid. No leadership. Uh the NCAA president was worthless. He had no guidance. 
it, it was just a hot mess. I feel bad for the SEC teams and the ACC playing 11 games when they didn't have to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the Big Ten is the reason that this college football season might have felt a little bit tainted. Big Ten, Pac-12. I'll give I'll give equal comeuppance for both of them. I'm more in Pac-12 country for whatever reason because CU moved, moved to that conference. But it, I don't know. There should have been – obviously there was a way to do it and have 11 games. The, the Big Ten, I think when they – I think what the Big Ten thought when they originally said we're not going to play – all the other conferences would have just fell in line. Like, oh, yep. Big Ten's not playing. What's the point of playing this year? And the SEC and ACC are like, ah, no, we're we're playing and we're going to beat you no matter what, whether you're in the championship or anything like that. <clears throat> and that really hurt me because I always – I'm one of the biggest advocates, especially on this network, of the Big Ten being top to bottom better than the SEC because I think that there's a little bit more competitiveness. All these teams can beat the top teams at the conference. It's not like – Alabama, LSU, 50 feet of crap, and then everybody else. I think I am an advocate for the Big Ten, but this year really put a strain on that. And and I don't know if I'm going to be saying that for too much longer if this is the way that it continues to go. Yeah, because it was they all met, and the Pac-12 and Big Ten were saying that their doctor saw this study and the ACC and SEC and Big 12 said, well, wait a minute, we're seeing this. We don't have a study. We're just going to play. Yeah, well, and I get so confused. I'm like, well, your doctors are looking at the same stuff. Why are you getting different ideas or opinions? And like you said, the best terminology I heard was the Big 10 tried to play hide and seek and see who followed. Yeah. And then when they saw it could be done and they can make money, they were like, oh, we need to come back. Yeah, desperately, because that's – College football, and I argued with people about this for the whole – when it, everything originally came back and there was going to be games. If there was no college football, yeah, it probably it might have been a little bit safer. A lot of kids probably wouldn't have got the virus and everything like that. But then you also have to worry about the school not having a certain program anymore, dropping theater, dropping some of these extra sciences or, or business classes because football brings in all the money for the entire school. That's that's what it does, and right, wrong, or indifferent, you got to have football in order to have all these other programs for every single person that goes to that school. And that's what made me kind of upset when I see people that I went to college with that didn't play sports don't understand that that's how the world goes around. It's an inconvenient truth. I don't think that it should be that way, but it's obvious that that's how things work. Yep, like uh, when the Rutgers staff members were going to sue because – the football team and them are getting more money or something. And they're like, well, you know who pays for your room? It's athletics. Mm -hmm. You know who pays for the computer labs and the building? That's athletics. Yeah. And uh, when Illinois, the state of Illinois is going through their budget cuts years ago when Lovey Smith got hired, like the state of Illinois is in bad shape. It still is. But Lovey Smith got a contract. I think it was only like – Three million a year wasn't anything crazy. The whole state, like people are like, how can the state, how can you vie afford to pay him when the state is going through budget cuts? And the AD had to come out and say, you know who's paying him, right? The boosters. The state's not paying him. The school's not paying him. The boosters. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, if Illinois doesn't have high school sports, we're going to see a lot of not just angry 
sports fans or uh, like we were talking before we started recording guys that need their senior year or junior year tape to be able to go to school and play and have a shot at a college education. You're also going to see very upset theater, theater parents, theater kids, anybody who is into computer science, you're not going to be able to afford the new MacBooks or computers that you need to do to, to get what you want done. There, There's, like I said, people don't want to admit that athletics is what is the money that drives everything else, but it's, it's American culture. It's always how it's been. The sports get the most money because they are able to build revenue, not just for them, but for everything else that surrounds it. Yeah. People don't get it. They like, there's always Alabama has the best facilities, Mm -hmm. a really good school, the money. And then they say, well, how can they afford to pay Nick Saban eight million? The boosters. They don't that's what people don't realize is the school never fully pays them. It's the boosters. Yeah, they just have the pay they have their name at the top of the contract, but they very rarely have to dip into anything that they they bring in for the year to pay any of their coaches. Like the the Gus Malzahn thing. They were like, How are they afford to paying him this much money? They're like, You realize the boosters are buying that. Yeah, the boosters are wanting to win, so they'll go ahead and pay for Melzon's contract to be bought out, but they're not going to, I don't know. It's difficult to explain if you've never been in that situation or on the other side of things. Um, And I have friends as a communications major who are trying to get into sports media. And then when everything shut down, I had friends that were doing like freelance work. Well, now then when sports gets shut down, the big names are going to start doing freelance work. And then the people who are doing freelance now have no opportunity. So they start a podcast in their basement. Hey, I'm right here. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But it's just, it had such a long reaching consequence. And yes, I understand that public health is, should be priority number one, but if we're all healthy and there's no money to go around, everybody's still going to be just as upset as they were not as they were thinking that coming back with sports is, is a dumb idea. Yeah, because there's the high school level where we're worried about kids' mental health and social and the, and the film and this that. And you're talking, I, I agree. You're talking about economics. So economically, without college sports, there's no betting. There's, and I said this to somebody. Look at all the jobs. I wanted somebody to Google all the jobs in sports: athletic trainers, nutritionists, the strength and conditioning, the assistant coaches, uh, media. Like you said, the media that people don't talk about. Then let's talk about NFL and NBA. Look at all those jobs that would be lost. Like, what is it, billion-dollar industries? Yeah. and And They don't don't think it that way. No, and then you you just – people just look at the contracts and how much money people are actually getting paid, and they just – they can't wrap their head around why why it is that way. And it should be that way. I'll stand behind it. If you're – if you generate that much revenue, that's that's what – you should be able to do. You should be having more money than you know what to do with because you made everybody else more money than they knew what to do with. It's, it's all relative to your position, but I mean, just in our, just thinking back to my college and our athletic department, our athletic offices, you had the secretary um, or office administrator, whatever, whatever term you want to call it. You had the PR director, assistant PR director, social media director now, because that's all all jobs that have to happen, the athletic director, and then the coaches and everything like that that you said. It's it's a never-ending process. A billion-dollar industry doesn't just move based off of a few positions. It's it's a, a billion different parts moving in the same direction to try and generate that kind of revenue. 
Yeah, and I don't want this to be karma. COVID is dangerous. Never want to get it. Don't want people mm-hmm. to get it. But that's where the conversation comes into, which is worse. We wait for months for it to disappear, and then when we try to go back, the economy is shot. And now which is worse? No economy or trying to just go out and do our life? Yeah, and you talk about mental health issues. You're creating a bigger mental health issue when we do come out on the other side, possibly healthy, hopefully. Fingers crossed and everything like that. And I, I've said it before, too. I hope that everybody, nobody gets it. I hope that I, I'm lucky enough that I've only had a few people in my family who are who have contracted the virus and they were able to get through it just fine. Um, I hope that nobody gets it, nobody contracts it. But if we all just sit around on our hands and wait for everything to happen, you're going to have a whole nother issue going back to. I mean, I I was a communications and sociology major, so when this whole pandemic happened and you start to see just the effect it can have of being in your house all the time. And, and you were saying for before we started recording, the video learning, it's something, but it's not the same. And you can tell that there's effects that nobody saw coming from this. And, and whether it's right, wrong, or, or you think that it was a bad decision not to, not to come back for everything, or we should be all video all the time. Hey guys, are you looking for something to help you get through your daily life? Are you looking for something to help you get through that extra push in the gym? Are you looking for something to just kind of help make your life a little bit easier? Are you somebody that maybe does want to go to the gym or, you know, needs extra push during the day and don't know where to go or where to look? Well, then you need to click the link in the description and go to Redcon One. Redcon One is the fastest growing supplement company in the business. Last year, they were voted Best Supplements at the Vitamin Shop and with many other awards. And they're not just for bodybuilders and powerlifters. They are made for everybody. They have everything. You are a person that, you know, needs pre-workout with caffeine, they have it. You need pre-workout that doesn't have caffeine to get that extra pump, they have it. They have little shots of energy stuff. They have meal bar replacements. They have the MRE uh, powder that you can make smoothies with. They have your whey proteins. They have fat burners that you can take in the morning. They have pills. They have everything that you can need. Great workout apparel. They have workouts on there. Everything you need. It's to have you be at the highest state of readiness. It's not just for the gym goers. It's for everybody looking to dominate in life. So please, what I need you to do is click on the link in the description. And when you use the code T20, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-K-U at checkout, you will get a 20% off. Now, they always have deals going on. So you click on the link and you see a 40% off or a buy one, get one free with a different code. That's still fine. If you still use the link to go to Redcon 1, all you have to do is put my name in the referral box. S-T-E-P-H-E-N space K-U-C-H-E-F-S-K-I at checkout to help support the show. So let's go get the high state of readiness and let's get ready to conquer this day. That's a pretty selfish statement to make because you're not thinking about some of the other people that could use the human interaction. Um, and thank, thankfully, we do have professional athletes that are helping out kids. A lot of kids, if they don't go to school, they don't get fed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were expecting their meal to come from the school, whether it be breakfast before school or lunch during. Now those kids are just out on their own doing who who knows what, who knows where. It, it really has a far farther reaching effect than anything else 
if you just look at it objectively, there's so much more underneath it. You can you can't really look at look at it objectively. Yep, an example of school I coached at last year. Um, I guess you could say low income. The school is really nice, but I guess you could say low income. I guess we would bring bread and peanut butter and jelly on Fridays. They would eat that before we left for the game or the game. And after the game, certain kids would come up to us and say, do you mind if we make a sandwich or two to take it home? That was their dinner. That's exactly what they were going to eat. Then on Saturday mornings for film, coaches would bring in donuts and chocolate milk, and those kids would come eat it up because I'm like, that's their breakfast. Yeah. They wouldn't get that without football. Yeah, and and I said on one of the episodes, because we did kind of like a year in review, one of the biggest things that I could take away from all the sports that I've played, because I I wrestled starting when I was four. I wrestled, played football, baseball, basically always was doing some kind of sport. The biggest thing that I took away from it all is that I came into contact with people I never would have been able to through that, been able to see so many different backgrounds that I wouldn't have had exposure to if I wasn't doing those kinds of things. So that is the more important side of sports than just going out and being a great athlete. Cause that's fun and all that. But some of the bonds that I've had, some of the people that I've met are way more important to me than any kind of accolade or championship that I've ever won. Yep. There's a coach I know in central Illinois, they have 600 kids in their middle school and they all came back in August. That first day they didn't work. The kids just talked to each other. Mm-hmm. And I said, what about the masks? They keep them on. I just let them talk to each other. They've never been so happy to be in school and be around their friends. And I said, what kind of world do we live in where the video games wasn't enough? That's true. I mean, I, I have a, a youngest brother who's a junior in high school. And it, it was at first he was kind of upset because they went back to school. They were doing hybrid where they were doing two days on, online, three days in class. And then they stopped that and just went all online, still playing football. And it's, at first, it was like, man, I don't even have to go to school and I still have to go to practice. But then after a while, with just being online and everything like that, I want to go to practice because I want to see my friends. I want to be around the guys that I'm going to go to battle with on Friday nights, hopefully. And and that's, that's an escape for a lot of people because there's plenty of situations that not many people have to experience that sports are, are their way to escape. Yep, I saw someone – post on social media here in Illinois, and I, they said they were talking about how they couldn't imagine parents risking their kids' lives to play a sport, and then somebody said they need to find a different hobby, and I just I had to walk away from everything because I was so mad. I was yeah. like, you, but then I'll tell you, when you get older, like me, you want to get mad, but then you have to take a step back and go, this is just a person that doesn't get it, and they'll never get it. Yeah, and it's difficult in that situation. I've come across a few of those situations as well, and it is the better thing to walk away. Uh, and I think that's one of the main reasons that Nico and I wanted to do the podcast as well, because if we can convince one or two people that, you know, sports are a good escape and we don't get too political on our show, we don't really talk about anything heavy. We kind of just go sports and I, I try and crack jokes. And most of the time I can get Nico to laugh or I say something ridiculous and, and that's how we go about our day. But if we can provide that little escape that we experience as athletes playing at practice with all our all of our friends one or two people every single episode that we put out that's worth it yep i just talked to coaches about rabbit holes or jump down some rabbit holes i guess that's always fun too it's another uh, distraction oh it uh 
my podcast were like interviews. I had questions down in front of me. And then I realized it was an interview. I watched Joe Rogan's podcast, like football film. I said, how is he so good? Oh, he just talks. Yep. So I get coaches on and we just talk. Yeah. And I think there's a, a great avenue for that kind of stuff. And um, Nico and I, when we do, we do have some interview type episodes that we release. We released one last Friday and uh, it was a partnership that we had. One of my college buddies is a personal trainer now and I'm doing his training program. So we wanted to get him on and talk about that. And we're going to try and, and do some stuff to both build our brands, but we were able to kind of get him to open up and talk about a lot more than just fitness and, and a lot more than just being a personal trainer. We got him to, to talk about how he was able to get to this point in his life. And he had, he did not have it very easy growing up, but he kept doing what he needed to do, kind of fell and lucked into a couple situations. And now, He's running his own personal fitness business with his wife. And, and you know what? It was awesome that we were able to get that story out of him because that's going to be what draws people in. And that's what people are going to remember. Not, oh, how he, he can help me get a six pack in like three weeks. It's going to be the actual person behind the business that the people are, are really interested in. Yep. There's this coach on social media. His name's Coach Mac. If you go on YouTube, he has thousands of people. He literally stands in front of a whiteboard for 20 minutes, and that's all it is. But he's been doing it since 2013, maybe. I don't remember. And we were going to talk football, and he goes, Steve, before we record, were you going to talk to me about X's and O's? And I said, maybe. Why? That's fine, but that's all I do. We can talk about anything else. We can talk football, but we can talk about whatever. I was like, sure. We talk about Metallica because he likes Metallica. He likes golf. He likes WWE. We talked about that, and then – it was like, oh, you're not just Coach Mac, the whiteboard guy in, in Florida. You're a person. Yeah, that's that's the more intriguing side. Because trust me, the first few episodes Nico and I put out, we were trying to be uh, ESPN rundown, like pardon the interruption, just straight facts, numbers, facts, numbers. And then whoa. Uh, once we um, kind of put our own personalities into it, we, we saw the change in how people were responding to it. And that's what people really want to watch. Yeah, I learned that. I started a year ago, and I learned that very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why on our my show I do with my two friends, it's just uh, it's try to be professional, and then we go off the cuff. Yeah, a little bit. That's the fun way to do things, I think. Well, not for three hours. Now, like nobody's going to watch it for three hours. People can come in and out. Joe Rogan did plenty of podcasts that were over three hours. Oh, yeah. Well, when we did it, it was like it was actually like three hours and 24 minutes. And I said, are we actually Joe Rogan level now? Or are we actually like on his level? Yeah, except he's doing what you're doing now with three podcasts in a day. And he's doing three three hour podcasts with like one, a comedian friend of his, Neil deGrasse Tyson and then Elon Musk. And I can't imagine what that guy's head is like. It has to be just swimming with information that he can't even remember that he knows he knows. Well, that's why, like, without football, I was watching, like, football film, and I said, how is he so good? Oh, he talks, but also he knows a lot. Yeah. He's very smart. Really, all knowledge is is just being able to regurgitate stuff smarter people than you said. That's what he's – that's pretty much a direct Joe Rogan quote. I'm pretty sure he said that on his show. Probably. I can't keep up. He has almost 1,600. Yeah. He's been doing it since, you know, since podcasting was a thing. He was one of the first guys to do it. Yeah, uh, 2009. Mm-hmm. Yep. I didn't know podcasts were a thing. 
I didn't either. All, all I knew was I, I was just starting to get into like Sirius XM and, and all that kind of stuff. And then there was this whole other avenue to go down. And, and now here we are where basically everybody that you know has a podcast. Well, because of COVID too. That's another reason. Yeah, that's also true. But see, in 2009, I was graduating high school, so I didn't know what a podcast was. I won't tell you where I was in 2009. Yeah, don't make me feel old. Don't make it. Don't make my back hurt. Yeah. Don't make that go any farther than. Um, <laughs> any advice I can give you to be a coach? That's what I wanted to ask. So you want to be a coach, huh? Possibly. I think that um, m- some of the most influential people in my life have been coaches. So, like I said, with the podcast, if I can, like, change one person's outlook on something or or help them out in that way i think it'd be a pretty fulfilling experience it's probably not going to be my main main gig because i i would probably get bored and and that's kind of just how i operate but i do think that coaching in some capacity would be interesting it's a good time uh there's a lot there's a lot i kind of want to write a book on it because there's nothing out there telling people what's going to happen to you when you get into coaching uh, like I tell people, have you ever fitted a guy for shoulder pads and know how to fix them? Most will say no. Have you ever fitted a kid for a helmet and know how to fix one that breaks? Most say no. Uh, laundry, breaking down film, uh, researching and doing this and doing that. When I first got into coaching, you had to drive and trade film. Mm-hmm. There was no, like we have this thing called huddle. Yeah, I watch huddle. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. You played football. Sorry, so I'm an idiot. But like when I played, you had to drive and trade. And when I got into coaching, it was DVDs at least. It wasn't VHS. Mm-hmm. And none of you kids know that. You don't know the struggle of driving an hour to trade film. No, I don't know anything about that. But it, I, I would say probably because I I coached wrestling with my younger brother when he was in middle school and. And honestly, I get more nervous for when he was going out to compete than when I would. That's the hardest part about it for me. And that's the part that I kind of want to get over is is not being anxious and stressed out for somebody else because I can't control what they do. I got to hope that I prepared them as well as I could going into that thing, whatever they're doing. But I can't make my life how they're going to perform because at the end of the day, that's up to them. I started coaching when I was 18. And that was the toughest part. I tried to walk on, didn't work out. I went to coaching. The hardest part is like, I could go do that. Mm-hmm. Like, then you're you're pumped up for the game. You're too pumped up. Basketball, because I coach basketball and football and track. So it's like, you could do, like, it, that's the tough part. But you just kind of have to get over it. And that's, the, I don't like that advice. Like, just get over it. That's the worst advice. But it's true. It's like, just get over it. Like, you, yeah. there's nothing you can do. No, I agree. Uh, and that's something that I, I'm glad that I started coaching or I've had a, had some experience coaching. Um, now it's just, you know, at some point, I think in the fall, I'm going to start with a youth team that's pretty local around where my house is and, and see where it goes from there. But that's basically the plan for the next few months other than the podcast and then my, j- my day job as well. That's good. That's advice to give to someone who wants to coach is do I say I can never coach youth. Uh, it's, I coach eighth grade basketball before and that's tough. Like I'm not meant for, I, I know myself. I'm not meant for that. I'm very, I'm going to tell you how it is yeah. type of person. So I always tell people, if you're going to coach, do like a freshman level 
because uh, you learn how to coach. Mm-hmm. And then you find out very quickly if it's something you're going to do. Um, I was immediately varsity at 18. I went with my head coach. I've been varsity ever since. Yeah. I may have coached eighth grade basketball. I'm a sophomore basketball coach now. But, like, I've been nothing but higher up. And it was a struggle because I thought I knew everything. I thought I knew how to coach. I thought I knew how to do this. And very quickly, when I switched high schools, I learned I knew nothing. Um, but that's good advice to go do a youth thing first to see if you even want to do it. Yeah. Because if you go to a high school and try to do it, that's supposed to be like your part-time job. Right. Yeah, you, there's a lot riding on high school and everything like that. Youth, it's it's supposed to be kids who want to play or some semblance of that. So I'm, I'm intrigued about that kind of situation, and, and I want to see how it's going to go. And like I said, it might be something that I continue to do. I know that I want to coach my own kids when I have them, so that's something that I'll do. But um, I, I'll, I'll try it out at first, I think, and uh, depending on how it goes, if I feel like I'm having an impact or, or in some way, that's probably what I'll continue to do it at that point. But if I feel like I'm not adding anything to it, I, I'm – man enough to admit that I'm probably not in the right position and I'll, I'll step aside for somebody else who can. See, I wanted to do it since I was 15. So when I was 15, I knew. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little different. I'm like, I knew that's what I was going to do. Uh, and I've been doing it for 12 years. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. I've been doing it for 12 years. Uh, and it's a nice side gig. I mean, you get three stipends. It's actually a nice part-time gig. Yeah. But I turn it into full time though, in football. It's even at school. I don't care if administrators know. Any downtime I have, I'm drawing up plays. I'm looking at film on the computer. It becomes full time at high school at varsity. But the most important coaches are the youth and freshmen. Yeah, they are the most important. I couldn't agree more. Those are those are the coaches that made me continue to play. I'm just not meant for that. The words that come out of my mouth are not meant for those kids. Yeah. I'm very uh I'm not as bad now. I was very old school. I've adapted. That's good. As long as you can roll with the times, that's that's probably a good good way to be. There was a point in my life where have you seen Nick Saban throw a headset? That's me. <laughs> was me. I don't do that no more. Those things are expensive. Don't be throwing those headsets. Especially now, yeah. Well, we're, we may not have a season. I may have to worry about it, especially in Illinois. I hope for your sake there is a season just so that you can get that little competitive itch scratched. Well, it started out that way. It was like I want to be competitive, and then it started out as I need to help these kids. Yeah. It turned into that. Like, well, it was always that way, but a part of it was like – part of me was like I have to coach. I have to coach. And now we're – seeing the effects on children. I won't go too far into detail while recording what's happening to some of these kids in Illinois. It's not good. Uh, But in February 15th, I guarantee you, if we play, it's going to be snow. And I'm not used to that. Playing in the snow. Let me rephrase that. Playing in the snow, I'm not used to that. Yeah. I think it could be an, an experience. Well, I took a lot of your time. I think that's all I got for right now. I, like I said, you're my third one, so I wrote stuff down, but I'm like, I think this is good. Yeah, no, I, I had a lot of fun. I mean, 
jumping down rabbit holes. I, I always love talking football and, and sports like that. So I'm, I'm glad I was able to come on and thank you for having me. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you bringing up Cody Parkey and Jay Cutler and the broken knee and Lovey well, Smith. If you want to hear more of my my pissing people off unintentionally, you can listen to my podcast, Far Under the Bench with Nico, because I'm pretty sure I make him want to pull his hair out every now and then. See, don't don't be you guys shouldn't be mad at me for this. So doing this podcast, I have all I have over a hundred recorded, but I haven't released a hundred yet. I think I've released ninety-six. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to me. All these coaches have their own content, and I promise that um, I watch them. So your guys' stuff, I'll watch snippets. Then I go watch somebody else's snippets. I can't watch the full thing at one time. So mm-hmm. I've seen snippets. I just have to watch everybody's. Right. So um, all right, I appreciate you. Everybody out there, stay safe and wear a mask. Yes. We can have some life back. Definitely. Yep. I'll see everybody next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.